0: And just a quick note too on language, um, given that there was different language used in the 60s um, that we might reference, we just wanted to put it out there that any language that we might reference is like knowingly used in an outdated fashion. My name's Sydney. I'm Gabe. And this is Word on the Street. Today we have a very special guest with us and we'd like to have him introduce himself.
1: Dr. Hazard, uh, associate professor, ethnic studies uh, and history.
2: Yeah, we're gonna cover overall like the, the day of Martin Luther King and, and his meaning, and also like how people remember him, and uh, whether or not we achieved this or his dream, and what can we do to further improve upon that. first push for the holiday occurred when John Conyers, a Democratic U.S. representative for, for Michigan, insisted that King's le- legacy should be honored, and that happened just four days after his assassination. However, it took years to actually get the bill to be passed. Um, he reintroduced the bill year after year uh, to Congress, and he actually had the support of the con- Congressional Black Caucus. Um, however, it didn't take until six million signatures and Stevie Wonder's hit song, Happy Birthday, about King to actually get gain like, more pu- public support, um, which kind of forced the hand of uh, Congress eventually. And also, a little odd fact that I wanted to also note um, in terms of the holidays is that uh, to this day in Alabama, Arkansas, and Mississippi, uh, MLK Day is celebrated in conjunction, which is with the Confederate soldier Robert E. Lee, which I found was kind of odd because they're such polar opposite people, and also the fact that we're still celebrating a Confederate holiday in this day and age just surprised me um, during my research. Um, one thing that I actually wanted to talk about, which is, uh, do you th- do you think, and this could be for Professor Hazard or Sydney, mm-hmm. do you think that MLK's dream has been achieved? Um, I'm assuming the obvious answer here, or at least for me, would be no. Um, there's a difference between like short, short-term short-term goals and like baby steps in progress, but the ultimate dream definitely hasn't been achieved yet. Um, I say uh, in some of my notes that society still perpetuates many forms of racism that has been institutionalized, and we as in not only African-Americans, but also people of color still deal with many racial barriers in everyday society. It's just not as blatant or obvious uh, as it once was in the 60s and 70s.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great place to start, and it, it actually brings into question um, this, again, something we mentioned before we came on air, um, was that the very memory of King and what he sought to achieve is contested. And so we might follow up with this opening by, by asking, you know, what actually was his dream? And how has that dream been shaped in terms of political discourse? Um, there are some on the, the political right who might articulate a notion of colorblindness. Um, some of those folks have fought for an end to affirmative action. Um, but that, that way of viewing Dr. King's dream really um depoliticizes what he was actually about and fighting for um the the radical king is something that gets lost i think in that version of his dream um and so i would argue actually that dr king was was striving for a reorganization of society into one that actually acknowledged that capitalism was a huge issue for people of color and poor pe- people, period, um, and certainly the ways that you know race and class intersect um, haven't been dealt with as we see today in the twenty first century. So I would say, absolutely not. But there are layers and levels to King's dream that sometimes get lost in the ways that we talk about him today.
0: I think a lot of what would our perception of King be if he hadn't made that you know, like critical intervention of, like, using the I Have a Dream speech, like, that was not part of, like, the written, original speech, and Mm -hmm. so what would have happened had he just literally stuck to the script Mm -hmm. would... I? We probably would still, you know, rely on this very palatable, whitewashed version of King, Mm -hmm. given that, you know, the media also relied on his foil being created of, like, Malcolm X. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that, like, we rely so heavily on the dream, like, the very specific language, and Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what would... The icon and figure of king look like had that not been a factor you Mm -hmm. know sometimes Mm -hmm. I feel like it becomes so easy to idealize him because we have this you know connotation of the dream being an ideal and so I feel like that's something that's also interesting Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. I actually have a question for Sydney would you say like this uh, most people some people's belief in like whether the dream has been achieved or not Would you think it's because like the I have a dream speech has been so iconic, so like that's like the number one thing that people tend to gravitate towards uh gravitate towards mm-hmm. instead of like mm-hmm. looking at other research that he's done or looking mm-hmm. more in depth into his life
0: mm-hmm. and also
2: like just the overall movement mm-hmm. and uh as opposed to like just the individual
0: mm-hmm. I think you really hit kind of the nail on the head. I think everyone that dream is a very like universal idea like everyone has dreams, everyone has fears everyone has you know this sort of like wishes that they can have and so white people like I feel like that's something they can latch on to be like Mm -hmm. oh like this is something that we can Mm -hmm. all relate to this is relatable (laughs) and it has nothing to do with your blackness or you know justice or injustice Mm -hmm. it's something that's so perfectly like already constructed and just ready for the media to like just grab a hold of and so because of that people don't have to look any further they don't have Mm -hmm. to think about his politicization of like the war in Vietnam and his Mm -hmm. stance on that they don't have to make Mm -hmm. King a political figure Mm -hmm. despite him his blackness making him a political figure Mm -hmm. like they don't have to think about that in any way instead the dream is this perfect way of like whitewashing and making him a colorblind like icon Mm -hmm. when that's not what he wanted at all
1: yeah and that even even you know to to that point even with the the quote I have a dream speech you know we're talking about a very Small portion of a much longer speech mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in which King talks about wealth inequality, economic oppression, um, the quality of, and inequality of education, um, again depending on race and place. And so this moment is taken <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> as if it encapsulates his entire politics. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, we're talking about you know one particular moment in august of 1963 yeah. and you know dr king's politics shift somewhat but he he grows as a political mm-hmm. actor and activist you know through of course april of 1968 and so that moment is is the image that is taken to tell and then utilized to tell a particular story about race in the united states when it doesn't really tell much of the story at all.
2: I would say, like, do you think uh, that speech and like the misinterpre- misinterpretation uh, of that speech has led to color blindness and, and like, that's why I was yeah. thinking. That's <laughs> why I was thinking. I was like, okay, absolutely. So,
1: uh, so we've seen this. Um, we've we've seen this since. Well, I've seen it since mm-hmm. the the mid nineteen nineties. Yeah, yeah. It's like kind of like a um, new
2: thing that popped up after. Yeah. Right. So
1: after the, the, quote unquote, after the movement, right, mm-hmm. we move into this new era, we move into the Reagan era, we move into um, this moment in which, you know, Democrats come to power again. So this is Clinton, this is 92. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing this, I'm seeing people like Newt Gingrich and others, mm-hmm. other Republicans, and they embark upon this so-called culture war, where they're invoking all of these racialized stereotypes about welfare queens mm-hmm. and, you know, Nixon, mm-hmm. Nixon did it, Reagan did it. Mm-hmm. So they reach back to that, and here comes this colorblindness, this discourse of colorblindness, And the argument is, okay, so had the civil rights movement, you know, you all have, have been complaining even though you got the Civil Rights Act in 64, even though you got mm-hmm. the right to vote in 65, why mm-hmm. are you still complaining? Um, affirmative action is totally wrong. And and this was how the Republican argument went, and affirmative action is actually antithetical to dr King's dream. This was the argument that was positive positive, so I lived through this stuff, and it was just you right you couldn't believe it right mm-hmm. you, yeah. you you see politicians on television today and, and they're just constantly the level of disingenuousness is off the charts and that's precisely what I witnessed you know Mm -hmm. in the 90s with this colorblind discourse Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think there is a direct link but it absolutely goes back to the ways in which folks on both sides both sides of the aisle attempted to use King and deploy King's memory for their own political purposes rather than being um, rather than actually honoring King and honoring the movement, mm-hmm. which was which involves so <laughs> many people yeah, um, yeah that definitely. we don 't even talk about mm-hmm. yeah, so I think there is a direct link mm. yeah
2: yeah i I wholeheartedly agree with you in that in that regard and when you 're thinking about color blindness like it also leads to it, if you're if you if we were to go down the route of color blindness, it would also lead mm-hmm. to just like another path and when we 're it seems like we're disregarding race and that like it doesn't play a part in everyday life right Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. what what you're saying is like i totally agree it's also like like when it comes to the holiday it's not just mlk day but it's the day of remembrance of all the you know many black leaders have led the movement in general and i actually wanted to read a quote that i found that kind of articulates that it says the quote says, one of the prayers that I pray to God every day is, oh, God, help me to see myself in my true perspective. Help me, oh, God, to see that I'm just a symbol of a movement. Help me to see that I'm a victim of what the Germans call a zeitgeist and that something was getting ready to happen in history. History is ready for it. And, that's, and that a boycott would have taken place in Montgomery, Alabama, if I had never come to Alabama. So that's kind of just saying, like, mm-hmm. although I, I am seen as, like, you know, at the top and like, the mm-hmm. leader, mm-hmm. This would have uh, this would have happened regardless mm-hmm. of whether I was there or not. So mm-hmm. I think that was like a very important quote that kind of highlighted what it what um, the holiday is meant for. Mm-hmm.
0: Something that stood out for me with that quote is the fact that he's really understanding his role within the movement and the ways in which I mean we know that there were thousands of people and but, like, were involved, and it wasn't just MLK who, you know, Mm -hmm. stood on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and, like, gave the speech, and all of a sudden, like, legislation was passed. Mm -hmm. The fact that it took thousands and hundreds of people to, like, lay their bodies really on the line and in the, like, line of fire in order for change to happen, I think that quote really, for me, kind of exemplifies and helps Concretize how leadership today is formed. Thinking about mm-hmm. like Black Lives Matter and mm-hmm. the ways in which the organizational structure is so decentralized. Mm-hmm. In given, you know, Malcolm X's legacy, given MLK's legacy, mm-hmm. and the ways in which their assassination, particularly, not destroyed but definitely derailed the movement. Mm-hmm. And thinking about particularly like h- how Ella Baker structured SNCC and like yeah. how the way that she um, created the organizational structure there. I think that's something that is really important to remember and I think mm-hmm. that's something that is like a really key piece of the civil rights legacy that we tend to forget um, today yeah
1: absolutely and it, it's it's something that um, particularly in my intro class I when we get to the late 50s I spend quite a bit of time you know stressing that uh, yes Dr. King was the voice and face of the Montgomery bus boycott but it took you know 30,000 Working class black folk um, every single day for over mm-hmm. a year, you know, walking miles to and from work or organizing carpools. They didn't have the, the financial means that King and others did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it was a matter of working class black folk, you know, making that decision mm-hmm. to do that every single day for over a year. And, and you know, this is, these folks made the movement happen. Mm -hmm. You know, even Ella Baker recognized, the famous quote that she has, um, that the movement made king. King didn't make the movement. So, um, folks understood that. um, But again, it's a matter of of how our memories of the movement and of King are shaped,
2: Mm
0: -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I think, too, adding on to that, there's this critical moment that we have right now where a lot of people who experienced Jim Crow segregation mm-hmm. are passing away. And mm-hmm. I think when we think about public memory through, you know, critical thinking and, like, critical analysis, mm-hmm. we can give a more nuanced portrayal of what w- life was like. It wasn't just about water fountains and lunch counters, right. you know. It was yeah. l- really about so much more than that and about, you know, political autonomy and mm-hmm. representation. Um, and I think that's something that, like, is, should not be forgotten. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, I'm reminded of some of the conversations that I've had with my parents and aunts and uncles over the years, and some of some of that I share in class, you know, yeah. um, but it has to do with the fact that my parents graduated from high school um, in 1970, and so that's not a long time ago. Um, it might seem like a long time <laughs> ago for you all, but but, but not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but. East Baltimore was still segregated, Mm -hmm. right? And we're not talking about the Jim Crow South. We're talking about a city that is northeast of the nation's capital Mm -hmm. in 1970, it was still segregated. And so I think that might challenge us as well to think seriously and deeply about what racism actually looked like throughout the country and not just say, well, oh, it was you know, the Jim Crow mm-hmm. South and the KKK was down there mm-hmm. and um, legislation happens in the 60s and everything's fine, mm-hmm. but but the actual segregation and those economic issues in particular remained in place. And so there was a movement up north, there was struggle up north as well. Um, so I'm just, I, I'm often reminded of, you know, of that fact and, and we still see, um, particularly when it comes to the economic yeah. apparatus, mm-hmm. yeah. and when it comes to space and place, Baltimore is still segregated. You know, um, Chicago, LA. We could go on and on. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, back to the dream. Certainly, Dr. Mm-hmm. King would not be pleased with with
2: that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, in terms of that, then I wanted to kind of like segue in into, and we already kind of dipped into like, what should we do next, knowing that. Mm-hmm. A lot of the people who were there for the movement and who saw the change in the change within the U.S. And, and just overall civil rights, like you know, they're going away slowly. So, like, how? What's the best way? What's the best way that we can continue to retain the information and the importance of of the civil rights movement in the next generation? Mm.
0: I think a lot of, I think it's interesting or important rather to remember the. Progression of movements, and I think people tend to think, Oh, the civil rights movement happened, it's in the past, and then there was black power, and that happened, and it's in the past, and there's Black Lives Matter now, and it's happening. But Mm -hmm. I think it's important to recognize how all of these movements are intertwined, and Mm -hmm. how it wasn't just something that happened, and there's no clear end date. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that needs to be complicated, and in that way, I think it's motivational to look at. All of the leaders in the past, and thinking about like the creation of Black Power, and how Stokely is literally the kind of the Stokely Carmichael that is, is the Mm -hmm. perfect kind of Mm -hmm. bridge and like kind of connector between Mm -hmm. the classical quote unquote civil rights movement, Mm -hmm. you know, and his involvement with SNCC to um, the Black Power movement. I think that's something is critical is to look at look at the leaders, look at the people who are involved, um, and study and study how they created change in order to understand how we can create change.
1: And I think the historical context is incredibly important to you know to be aware of to remember um to embrace and it's it's been if one wants to make this argument that um, <laughs> freedom came in nineteen sixty five you know if if we just do some simple math nineteen sixty five to twenty twenty compare that to sixteen nineteen mm-hmm. through nineteen sixty five that's mm-hmm. a long time yes yeah. you know, three hundred and forty some odd years compared to, um, what, 45, 55. Mm -hmm. Um, So just being aware, being knowledgeable about the centuries that were involved in building all of these structures and these ways of understanding racial difference Mm -hmm. and constructing racial hierarchies. Mm -hmm. That's, again, that's a very long time. So to have the expectation that one, the institutionalized racism, two, the interpersonal, and three, really, our our worldviews would be changed mm-hmm. um, because of the Voting Rights Act. I, 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 that won't serve us well, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So being aware of the historical context and how real it was and how it remains in our lives today, I think, is terribly important,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah.
2: Okay.
0: I think also of, like, this rhetoric that is really common of looking at like black exceptionalism Mm -hmm. and really holding up singular figures like if I hear one (laughs) more person talk about Oprah I'm gonna lose I'm gonna lose it (laughs) just because it's like it's so easy for people to go oh well look you have x y and z people or you have x y and z you know look at basketball and it's like no like
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: that is just something that's so unfortunate you know, we got yeah. the
1: Rock and michelle yeah yeah it's all good now mm-hmm. yeah we
2: got one out of 45 right right it's like that's yeah. a, just because someone's at the top doesn't mean the rest of the system you know is fixed right mm-hmm. right so you can't yeah it's it's kind of like you're you just making them a, a one-time example kind of thing instead mm-hmm. of something that should be happening every every time yeah so. yes And I think that functions
0: under, like, a very capitalist mindset as well of, you know, if you attain, you know, this sort of, um, like, amount of money or Mm -hmm. whatever, then Mm -hmm. if you have this sort of car, if you have this sort of achievement, Mm -hmm. then you've made it. But Mm -hmm. that's a very, like, individualistic sort of understanding. And I think there's no room for large scale societal success and black success mm-hmm. within this model of the individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: it's kind of like mm-hmm. you're just treating it as a checklist like okay, we did this thing, on to the next yeah. thing, but yeah. <laughs> you got to you got to stay on every task and you know, make sure that we're creating equity within a society that is built upon oppression. So. Yeah,
1: absolutely, and it's and and
2: just because Barack went to Ivys and right.
1: did all of those things, that doesn't mean that all of us can do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and it's and it's you know the the saying one of the the sayings again from the political right is and from the political center actually um, is that you know the the bootstrap. Oh. The bootstraps. Oh Lord, I did not want to Pull yourself. I mean, we could, we could, you know, push that back all the way to the nineteen teens with Booker mm-hmm, T. Washington, mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. um, and maybe black conservatism is another thing for another. Yeah, time. yeah another <laughs> podcast. <laughs> 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 but, but you know, it, it, it's and my response to that has always been, well, you know, for three hundred and some odd years, we don't, we didn't have boots so Mm -hmm. you're asking us to do this and Mm -hmm. we don't have boots Mm -hmm. exactly right so the metaphor doesn't hold but Mm -hmm. um but we see we still see that discourse circulating Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Yeah.
2: well then i kind of want to go into death like how can people at just our college in particular knowing Mm. that we're a pwi Mm. um kind of uh recognize how far we, how many more steps we have to go mm. to get to where we're going to go in terms of just uh, black success and as well as like just people of color mm-hmm. on campus or mm-hmm. students of color on campus. Mm-hmm. And I think for me it would be just bringing more students of color on campus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when it when we're talking about that, I don't necessarily mean like oh we reach out to students when they're accepted into the school mm-hmm. or like when mm-hmm. they're freshmen, but mm-hmm. necessarily like reaching out to local high schools. Mm-hmm you know, like, junior, senior year when they should be looking for colleges and they should be getting ready for SATs and ACTs and just having a well-thought-out program that links the college with the high school so they have that real one-on-one perspective with people who are just like them, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, that would be what I would do in terms mm-hmm. of the situation. And then it would also, like, you know, they'll probably talk to their friends be like, yo, I'm about to go to this school, like, come with, or, like, this yeah. is the place to go. Yeah. And you know, they're spreading the word without us having to tell them, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. That, that would be me. But. Yeah. <laughs> I mean,
1: they can, the, the all of the various offices, if they want to, you know, knock on my door, send me an email, and send me into local schools, I'm ready to go. Mm-hmm. You right, know, mm-hmm. I want to meet the students. I want them to see me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I want them to see what I've published, where yes. I've had postdocs, mm-hmm. where I come from. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to do that. The question remains: Who over there in those offices where they make these decisions Mm -hmm. is going to come and knock on my door and say, "Okay, we need Mm -hmm. you to go do this," because Mm -hmm. I've been here. There are a handful of other black professors. A handful, yeah, (laughs) literally a a single handful. But but we we are here. We've had these discussions, you know, over the years, and we want to do this. but again, it's it's academic affairs and all yeah. of these different offices and people um, people who troublingly feel that they are doing a good job mm-hmm. because the percentages, let's say, of African-American students jumps from 2.1% to 2.3% mm-hmm. . Yep. And, yeah, and honestly, as one of the few Black male professors on campus. Mm-hmm. When I'm walking around campus, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that two that point two percent change hasn't done anything. Mm-hmm. Nothing mm-hmm. at all yeah. in terms of what campus looks like, in terms of what my classrooms look like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just kind of sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I understand the the Jesuit liberal impetus to constantly talk about these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Um, but there are some of us on campus who are actually willing to do the work mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to make that change. Um, and faculty recruitment is, again, yeah. that... That's a whole nother yeah. thing, huh? Yeah. So, yeah, I'll just, I'll leave that one alone. Man, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: For me, one critical thing to add to that, to both of you, have, like, increased students and mm-hmm. increased faculty mm-hmm. is just... I would stage a coup, but I don't really think <laughs> that's <laughs> allowed. <about> mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think yeah, that like yeah. it's sad to see, especially within like the office of multicultural learning, we mm-hmm. have um, Joanna Thompson yeah. and Brunel Neville the third. And <laughs> he, the third is important. Uh-huh. Um, and I think like they're both black people of color, and I think that's something that's like sad it's not sad it's wonderful to see mm-hmm. but the fact that they're always funneled into these particular positions yep. of like mm-hmm. oh yep. well, you have to be in this department or you yep. have to serve on this committee and it's tokenizing in that yes. way yeah and i think no, yes. it's exhausting because joanna and Bernal aren't getting a pay increase because they sit on x many committees right. mm-hmm. you know but yet they're right. still expected to be there right. yep. and so and i think rep- that was like no right and represent
2: the entire community an entire exactly. community right.
0: yeah. and because of Uh, particularly Joanna and Bruno's intersectionality, communities. And I think that's something that's really... particularly difficult and frustrating is to see the ways that the university is just constantly extracting especially from the tiny amount of black people that we have on Mm -hmm. this campus that Mm -hmm. are expected to produce Mm -hmm. both like scholarly and emotional Mm labor and the fact that like we're not being compensated for this the way Mm -hmm. that white students and white faculty and staff alike are just able to walk through campus and feel completely entitled to everything Mm -hmm. and not have to add particularly any extra investment in emotional labor Mm -hmm. or effort and the ways in which those particularly few black faculty and staff are now also being forced into the roles of like mentor and parent and friend and teacher (laughs) you know it's it's really exhausting and so I would fight for increased pay Mm -hmm. and you know because I feel like that's an important part of equity is you know paying people what they're worth Mm -hmm. and honestly Mm -hmm. like compensation is a huge Mm -hmm. issue on this campus Mm -hmm. and I think that's something that should be dealt with Mm
2: -hmm. definitely Mm -hmm. if if people of color see that on other campuses they'll want to start hovering towards us and you know then we'll it will also benefit the school because these are not just, you know, any old people. These are people with experience and who who actually want to help the school because they see yeah. the change that they're making and they see that they're catering to uh, staff and faculty of color. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. when you only see, like, those few faculty and staff members, as a, as a person of color and you're walking around campus, it's, it can be discouraging. Yeah. And you mm-hmm. might look to other places. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's true for us as faculty as well. Um, serving on various
1: committees and you know the the facts remain that when I walk into this meeting or that committee or okay. what have you you know it, it's it's the case is that usually I'm the only black person in that room and mm-hmm. it could be faculty senate it could be any number of committees um, and so it, it's 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 disheartening that change has not occurred when we are we are constantly engaging in these rhetorical mm-hmm. you know efforts to, to state how great things are and the university's mission mm-hmm. and, you know there are offices um, devoted to, to these issues and mm-hmm. nothing has happened mm-hmm. um, so it is troubling uh, but I would say that something else that that we as faculty can continue to do because we've been doing it, and that is challenge all of our students to think seriously and critically about race and ethnicity mm-hmm. here, mm-hmm. right so <coughs> excuse me, it's not simply a matter of of talking about hi- the history that's out there, but rather relate finding ways to relate let's say campus movements in the sixties mm-hmm. to what occurred here. In terms of <coughs> what students were able to do to get ethnic studies yep. you know, founded as a program in nineteen sixty nine, and then mm. what ethnic studies looks like today, mm-hmm. and then what the student population continues to look like, you know, forty some odd years later. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is a responsibility that we as faculty bear, and that is to challenge our students to think about, you know, this place that we're in, mm-hmm. yep. the prestige. Mm-hmm. Um, the the paradise, that's what some of the, some of the <laughs> students refer to it <laughs> as <laughs> right it's yeah. paradise for some obviously in um, some in some in certain ways but for others um, it's a political act just being here mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. right so we need to understand that as faculty <laughs> and continue to to challenge our students to think about those things
2: mm-hmm. mm. yeah
0: definitely I think too something you said is like our constant relial or reliance on mm-hmm. The rhetorical yeah. and you know on continuing like just throwing words around and yes. that's what keeps us in these circles of yeah. oh like i hear you we'll do better right and i think for me right. as like a student leader and someone who really strives to make a difference um is to you know look at the oml or the office of multicultural learning and see how we can move beyond the rhetorical mm-hmm. you know how can mm-hmm. we really make a change mm-hmm. and i don't mm-hmm. know I mean obviously it requires more than just one person and Mm -hmm. definitely more than just one office, Mm -hmm. but I think it definitely starts somewhere and so I think that would be my goal, at least for the rest of this year Mm -hmm. as I finish up, is moving beyond the rhetorical. Mm
1: -hmm. I suppose I I want to offer a word of encouragement in that um, our everyday acts of of support of creating spaces where we can openly talk about these things. Mm having pizza together yeah. to talk about you know, stuff, all of those, every, those singular everyday acts add up. And mm-hmm. in yeah. the moment, that is kind of liberatory, you know? Um, and those things are important. It's, it's kind of like what we've built in, in ethnic studies, mm-hmm. in our hallway. You mm-hmm. know when you come through you know, St. Joe's on the first floor, you know what it's gonna be, you know yeah. what it's gonna feel like. Mm-hmm. And we sought to create that because we knew we needed it, yeah. we know we need it, yeah, <laughs> and we know that students need it. So mm-hmm. yeah, um, that was a goal, and 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 just I suppose that there is, you know, a shining light to within <laughs> within all of this, and that yeah. is, you know, we sh- we can take care of one another every single day. Mm-hmm. Every little thing counts. It matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah,
2: mm-hmm. yeah. positive. Yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh, uh, yes. you know. We've made a lot of great strides in terms of just creating a safe space for for students of color on campus within St. Joe's and, mm-hmm. and OML and, and RSC and all the other clubs. So I guess, like, in that sense, um, MLK's dream is still in pursuit, mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. strong. Mm-hmm. But we also have to, you know, just rem- remember, like, you know, what the day was and 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 also, like, we're kind of representing his. Dream through our actions mm-hmm. on campus. Mm-hmm. I actually wanted to kind of loop back to um, the public memory of of MLK and Malcolm mm-hmm. X, like you had mentioned mm-hmm. um, earlier. So I, I found this uh, this quote while well, I was looking into just like oh, the overall remembrance of Malcolm Malcolm X in MLK. Mm-hmm. and MLK. I actually looked up um, the day of Malcolm X, which was I believe May nineteenth, but it was only made a holiday in Illinois. Is that is that, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, so it's like it's kind of like just showing the difference. Like it's only recognized in one state. Malcolm X's day, when MLK is just like such a bigger national holiday that's seen like or recognized in every state. But um, here's a quote, and it says, ac- or it says, according to Connor Sheets from the International Business Times, uh, he described Malcolm X's intentions. As he did not mean to incite anger, he simply said that justice must be attained, and he was exploring how best to go about trying to reach the Shining City on a hill King spoke of. He must remember that in those darker days, equality seemed impossible, unreachable, and so what comes off as anger and cynicism now was at that time a desperate cry for fairness. So I think like his overall message was the same as King's, but he just handled it in a different manner because he came from a different uh, lifestyle.
1: I think that there's a large portion of of the American populace that has such a visceral and problematic response to the emotions of black people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think that you know Malcolm would argue that it's actually a very basic human response to show anger and disgust at what black people have been put through in this country. Mm-hmm. And because Dr. King was more of like the polished theologian, mm-hmm. yeah. that was his choice. Um, we, we know that, that by April of 1967, Dr. King began describing the American dream as a nightmare. Mm-hmm. So because he said he stated those words in a particular way, there wasn't necessarily the same visceral response to mm. those words. Rather Malcolm would tell you to your face <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that you have brutalized black people for 350 years. Like he would mm-hmm. say these mm-hmm. things to yeah, people. Yeah, no sugarcoating, it's just right. he says what it is. And and their tones were often different and their demeanors were often different. Mm. Um, and so I think that matters again in how we, and how some of us even within the historical profession might might kind of describe or categorize mm-hmm. um, the two demeanors of these two. But we might think back to, to um, Ozzie Davis's eulogy of Malcolm and Ozzy says, did you ever speak to Brother Malcolm? Did you ever hear him laugh? Um, he never raised a hand to anyone. So it's just Ozzy leaves us <laughs> with something more to think about. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. In terms of Malcolm and who he was mm-hmm. and how he as well has been rem- misremembered, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: yeah. I was kind of like thinking about else and I was, I was thinking through my own, like, personal, you know, educational experience. Mm-hmm. And, like, mm-hmm. in history classes, you know, you'll see, like, the small section about black history. Mm-hmm. And, like, <laughs> guarantee, you know, 75% is going to be about MLK. Yep. But, like, I never seen uh, or heard anyone in any of my classes or teachers talk mm-hmm. about Malcolm X until mm-hmm. I actually had to look into it myself. Mm-hmm. Or, like, if it was just in a class I was focused on ethnic studies, mm-hmm. much rather mm-hmm. than just a history course. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So do you think it would just be you think it was because like of like who Malcolm was like his overall character and like mm-hmm. I guess the t- not the teachers but maybe like mm-hmm. the administration didn't want to kind of invoke that kind of um, spirit into students mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean I, I suppose it's 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 directly related to um, the way that King is taught right the radical um, socialist King. Anti-war king, anti-imperialist king, isn't taught either. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so we might consider how radical King and Malcolm, period, <laughs> were. You know, threatening to folks in authority who had the decisions and continue to have the power to make decisions about what we learn and how we learn it, who gets to write textbooks, mm-hmm. where those textbooks come from. How many dollars those textbooks mm-hmm. are sold for? Like, <laughs> yeah. All of these things are tied up into that. So, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's another thing that, again, we need to do for ourselves is, is we need to tell our own histories and tell our own stories um, because folks who don't have an interest in our well-being and humanity haven't told the stories the correct way, and they won't. Mm-hmm. So we have mm-hmm. to do it.
0: All right, folks, thank you so much for listening to Word on the Street. We'll see you next time. Thank <laughs> you.